Once again, we say Happy Mother's Day. It's a privilege to be here, as always. Don't forget us here on this side. Oh, there is, the, yeah, there is a side over here. <laughs> Early in the 20th century, that's like about 100 years ago. Can you imagine that? Early in the 20th century. The 20th Century Fox, remember that? That that was, I mean, some of us came from that century. I think all of us did, right? <laughs> Pretty well, some of us. Anyway, in a London newspaper, there was an ad. And the ad said this, Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter, cold, long months, and complete darkness and constant danger. Safe return, doubtful. (laughs) Honor and recognition in case of success. (laughs) In case you have that. It was signed by a famous Arctic explorer. His name was Sir Ernest Shackleton. And believe it or not, thousands of men responded to that. Figure that one out, huh? Macho. (laughs) Macho. (laughs) That's right. Now, if Jesus had uh, commented on this, or uh, actually, if he would have said something, and Warren Wiersbe actually uh, had this in, in a commentary, if Jesus Christ had advertised for workers, the announcement might have read like this, Men and women wanted for difficult task of helping to build my church. You will often be misunderstood, even by those working with you. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You may not see the results of your labor, and your full reward will not come till after all your work is completed. It may cost you your home, your ambitions, and even your life. Now, he didn't actually have an advertisement like that, but he did say things like that, didn't he? Uh, In our text that uh, we're dealing with today... Apostle Paul wants Timothy and us, 2,000 years later, to join him. To join him in suffering, hardship, for the gospel. seems like we've been dealing with that for the last few weeks, all through 2 Timothy, haven't we? It's because this was real. This was what was happening. And it, it was hard at that time. And it's still hard today. It's a tough sell. Because this is a comfort-oriented society. Probably more comfort-oriented than any society ever in the time of mankind. I don't think we have ever seen so much comfort and ease. Mankind has not since, I mean, just during our lifetime. Now, that's a blessing in a way. But in another way, it uh, works against the grain on us, uh, the the mental approach of Americans today, the typical thought of a couch potato is like this. Park as close as you can to the store so you don't have to walk more than a few yards. It gets better. Drive a block rather than walk. <laughs> Sit in your recliner with the remote in your hand watching all of those crazy guys on TV run all over the field. 
telling on myself here. The ladies, uh, the women probably are really appreciating this. Remember, this is for Mother's Day. I don't say this every day. (laughs) Your exercise for the day is to walk to the kitchen for more chips. Do you want to embrace hardship for the gospel? (laughs) That's our thinking. That's uh, how uh, easy life has gotten in a lot of ways. I think it's a very convicting text because the reality hits because that's the way that it had done with the apostles. And now um, Paul is telling Timothy that uh, this, this is hard. I want you to embrace this hardship for the sake of the Gospel. And I know it's really hard for ourselves because it's, uh, we try to keep ourselves unentangled from the world all the different things that uh, it has to offer. Uh, We actually want to please our commander-in-chief, don't we? We really want to please him. But we don't discipline ourselves like athletes do in in the spiritual sense. And, of course, that's one of the pictures that's going to be used, not in our text today, but it's uh, an ongoing text, really, following off the heels of where we're going to be at this morning, uh, he gives quite a few pictures, uh, but uh, an athlete disciplines himself, or a farmer who works hard and sees no reward for quite some time till the end of the crop. And, uh, you know, you, you see other different pictures, and today we're going to be looking at the strong man, the, the teacher, and the soldier. All those pictures really give us an idea of what it is like to walk the Christian walk. It's hard, it's difficult, we must discipline ourselves. And uh, that is to every believer. So the sum of all the ch- all we had in chapter 1, we're in chapter 2 today starting that one, in chapter 1 is what was happening with Timothy. Timothy was, uh, it seems to be getting a little um, timid. Paul is telling him to be bold and be courageous. The very character uh, in Timothy's life was being questioned because he was kind of backing down. He was becoming afraid. He was becoming frightened of what was happening. Paul was about to die. And, uh, of course, uh, Paul has made a huge impact on his life. And now Paul is saying, you need to, you're going to be taking up the mantle here. You're going to be doing this. Now it's really hitting. I mean, Timothy has has gone along with Paul and the travels and everything was okay there, but I want to tell you, um, when Timothy starts considering uh, this uh, this ministering thing, it is, it's difficult. It's hard. And now I'm going to be the one that is going to kind of keep this thing going. Uh, of course, God has many men that he's going to do that with, but uh, Timothy is uh, encouraged to be strong here. Uh, He might have had natural talents. He might have been a great speaker. He might have been one who was very winsome to people. Uh, He definitely seemed like the the pastoral uh, type of uh, character. And uh, we see here now he has to grab hold of an unusual strength, a supernatural strength. He really needs to be strong. And uh, so so there's an uh, enabling grace that he hasn't been relying upon. 
he needs that supernatural power because he has the hardship coming. So, we'll be looking at some vivid imagery, I think, some very good pictures that the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to put down, and we can put uh, these pictures into our own minds and uh, our own understanding here of what it's like to be an empowered Christian. An empowered Christian. These are some of the pictures. This is what I am. This is what I am already, but it's what I am to be. And that's the way that Paul will address that. Let's uh, take a moment. Let's stand. Let's read the first four verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Father, we thank You for You being here with us as a whole body. And we desire to understand further what You have for us This day we shout praises to You and honor You together as we do individually throughout the week. And uh, what a pleasure it is to be here today. Thank You for bringing this to us. and Thank You for this time. And uh, give us a freshness from Your Word this morning as we drink from Your fountain. And uh, help us conform our thoughts and our actions towards You. In Jesus' name, Amen. You, therefore, my son, you is emphatic. You, hey, you! (laughs) Get the attention here, right? Uh, We've just been in chapter 1, and we've had all sorts of exhortations and then examples of endurance, and also examples of falling away. There was the one, uh, two of them mentioned Phygelus and Hermogenes, in verse 15 of last week. That's what we were dealing with. And those guys were with uh, Paul, and then they left. And then he uses an example of Anesiphorus, who is an example of one who is courageous, and one who did not turn away. He said in verse 15, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away. Uh, whoever the all are, there must have been, meant uh, several Many of them, we think of Asia, Asia Minor. We're talking of uh, Philippi and um, some of those particular uh, churches. Now, in light of this, in light of this, Timothy, I want you to be strong. I mean, that's the kind of the key phrase here. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, let's go back to the word, therefore. You, emphatic. You, Timothy, you be like Anesiphorus. You don't be like Phygelus and Hermogenes and all the ones in Asia who turned away. You be strong. So that's uh, implying that they were weak. Onesiphorus was strong. You be like him. Uh, so the therefore, it's uh, definitely an example there. Uh, strong in the grace. Therefore, because of this. And then he says, my son. 
And my son is like my child, my son, uh, in the faith. And he helped Timothy grow up in the Lord, might have led him to the Lord. Maybe his mother and grandmother did, but uh, Paul had been in the city and and the area, you think of Derbe, and on that journey that uh, uh, Paul made with the other apostles, and then back through there, and then he came back through again. And so Timothy knew him, he picked Timothy up and took him with him. Uh, my son in the faith. Timothy was uh, prone to be led astray, and of course a crowd can come along, and you have that kind of mentality that uh, has the, the crowd, and they can uh, sway you away. And he's saying, stand firm. You, therefore, my son. Uh, remember, because you are a son in the faith here. You know, I taught you, I discipled you. Stand firm against the enemy's relentless attempts to take you away from God's grace and His merit. Uh, look in 1 Corinthians 4.17. matter of fact, 16, he says, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. And then he says, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy. He actually sent Timothy to Corinth. Boy, he had to be bold to go there, didn't he? And what does he call him? Who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. So he's going to teach what I taught you. And he is my beloved and faithful child. He was pretty young when Timothy grabbed him and took him on uh, journeys. And so... um, Timothy uh, is is um, one who needs to remain strong. He had been there. He knows what it's like. Uh, turn to First Timothy, chapter one, verse two. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. That's quite the commendations that Paul has of Timothy, doesn't he? My true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. My true child in the faith. You know, so he takes him as one who was the, you know, his son in the spiritual way. Now he says this: be strong, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. Now it's an amazing paradox. You can take God's sovereignty. God is in control of everything. He is so powerful, Almighty, and yet He depends on men to preserve, to guard the deposit. It's been given them. When I say men, we're talking about mankind here uh, that are brothers and sisters in Christ to pass on the Word, to guard it, to protect it, to pass it on. He's depending on us to do that. Now granted, he's going to carry out what he's going to carry out. But he's saying this, Timothy, you have to be strong because the Lord is depending on you. This is what he's given you to do. There's the sovereign God. It's amazing that He would give us the privilege and the duty, the responsibility to take this Word and to grow up in it and also to take it to the uh, whoever, the next generation and to the lost, right? The precious Word. And Timothy was going to be one that was going to continue that on. In the Greek language, the text is set up as a present passive. And uh, not trying to be fancy, what that means is that He's already strong. He says, keep on being empowered. You have the strength of the Lord. 
You have the Lord. You have the Holy Spirit. You have His power. You already have that. But keep on doing it. Um, keep yourselves in the position of that. Uh, only in Him can you. The sphere of obedience would be the idea. Uh, that's how you have uh, strength in the Lord. You're in that sphere of obedience. Look in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Here it's talking about the warrior, the soldier, who is equipped with the whole armor of God. And verse 10 starts off with, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We've heard that much of our spiritual lives, haven't we? Be strong in Him. You are in Him. You have that strength. Keep yourselves in that position that He's put you and use it. Allow Him to flow through you. That's the idea. Same thing as being filled with the Spirit. Allow Him to flow through you. In Jude chapter... verse, Well, actually, I'd say chapter 20, right? Chapter 1. Jude 20. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. There it's talking about building yourselves up, being built up, being strong, getting that strength. And then he says, keep yourselves in that. Continue on in it. Uh, Let Him flow through you is the idea. So there it is, love. And then uh, the next one will be grace. It is talking about abiding in Christ. Remaining in Him, right? The available spiritual power that He's given you. So we, we say, You therefore, my Son, be strong in the grace. Now we usually say strong in the Lord. Strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. In the sphere of grace. You have entered the whole environment of grace. When you became a Christian, you entered into the sphere of grace. Now realize that. Let that grace flow through you. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Talking about Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction, our access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in the grace. We are in the sphere of grace. It's all around us. When you become a Christian, the grace is there. Realize it. Act accordingly to it. The word histamine means we are fixed in it. You are standing and you're fixed in it. So that's an atmosphere of grace. The unmerited, the undeserved assistance that He gives us every day. Not only for saving grace. There's saving grace, right? It saves us, but He gives us grace to live and serve. So the grace is there for forgiveness, salvation. Grace is there for power, for living, for serving. The sphere of grace. I don't deserve to be forgiven, I don't deserve to have all this power that He's given me, us. But He gives it to us. My my strength is nothing, is it? My own strength is absolutely nothing. I'm weak. And that's where He wants us to be. I am weak, yet He is strong. 
I, I can offer God nothing. I have nothing to offer. I need grace for constant power. So there's the first one. It's the strong man. The picture of the strong man. You're strong as you're in Christ. As you, as you sit here, as you stand here, <laughs> you're in the sphere of grace. And realize that. I need grace for constant power. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in Colossians it says, be filled with the Word. Same thing. Okay, second picture. The second picture. We've seen the strong man, now we see the teacher. The teacher. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust thee to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Teach, that's the going word here. That's our key word in this verse too. And yeah, Paul is writing to Timothy, so when you first interpret Scripture, who's writing it? Who's he writing it to? What is he writing about? Interpret that way. He's writing to Timothy and he's telling him to be strong. He's telling him, hey, you teach it, right? And of course, the next one, you be a soldier. But we know that it then also passes on to us too because we are to be strong. We're commanded to be strong, aren't we? We are commanded to teach the Word. Some are commanded to teach it in... um, uh, a, a formal type sitting and uh, teaching and preaching and then there are other senses where all Christians are teachers you teach the word if, if we don't do that if the church doesn't do that the church dies out the church has done it for 2,000 years every generation has been faithful enough to pass it on there were times whenever there were limited numbers and there were the dark ages but God always had his people and that gospel kept on marching forward regardless and uh that, that's the idea. We're all to be teaching this Word. If you don't have somebody to teach, find somebody find somebody that knows less than you do and teach them what you already know. That's, that's the idea. And as you grow in it, then you keep teaching, uh, you, you share it with others. It might, might be just on a one-on-one thing. It might be uh, a few people. But teach it. And we're, so Timothy, we know, is commanded to do that, but we know these things right here are for us too, aren't they? So anyway... Um, Jesus is the great example of the teacher in the Gospels. And then He taught who? He taught the twelve. Of course, He taught the multitudes. But the twelve went out after He ascended. And they went out and taught people the Gospel all over the known world. And then those people passed it on. And then the next generation got it passed on. And then the next generation has been passing on people had to teach this. What would have happened if people quit teaching it? What would have happened if they quit having church? The body of Christ is the church, but quit having gatherings. Well, the church really would have dissipated. You have to have a congregation. God has His people come together and that, so that they would learn from Him. And so as they go out, then they also teach that. So Ephesians 4 talks about pastors and teachers being equipping the other ones, the saints, and then the saints take it out. And so it's not just just the pastor teacher does it, but all do it. Look in Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. Uh, key word is what? Teach. Everybody knows this. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for what? Teaching. Profitable. Profitable for teaching. That's a good thing, isn't it? And there are other things there, but it starts off with teaching. So 
So we're in this living chain. And we continue to teach. We teach. We teach. We teach our kids. We teach our friends. We teach our neighbors. We, we teach anybody we can get a hold of. We want to teach them about the Gospel, right? Turn to Colossians one twenty eight. We proclaim Him. That's Christ. The hope of glory. Don't you like that? Christ. The hope of glory. We proclaim Him. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. We want to bring them to be uh, mature. Maturity in Christ. That's the idea that was in our Second Timothy passage in, in chapter 3.16. So that they would be complete. That they would be adequately equipped so they can do that. So, as he says here, and we want, so completeness in Christ. Paul really had that. It wasn't that he was the apostle, uh, the great speaker, and he just went out and said some great things. People said, oh, man, that's great. And then that's it. No, he wanted them to change, to constantly keep changing. God doesn't have to change. He does not change. That's an attribute. Amen. We're not that way. We have to keep changing. Changing to the image of Christ. That's what we're about. So, what does a teacher do? Well, we know he receives a deposit, a trust, paratithemy. It's a deposit for safekeeping. The Word of God, the most magnificent, amazing treasure that we have. Flowers fade, the money goes, things rot. <laughs> and our bodies rot, we die, but our lives are eternal. The Word of God is forever. We have been given that deposit. Everything else is going to burn up. But this, this deposit has been given to Timothy. If you back up into chapter 1 of our Second Timothy, last week we dealt with this, verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. A precious treasure. A treasure. The treasure of all eternity. Guard it. Guard it carefully. People are going to be... Of course, the next verse, turning away from it. Because it's too harsh, it's too hard. People are going to be distorting it. He says, guard it. Guard that truth. It's a treasure. If you go to, I think it is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. This is a banking term. And that's this has been he is trusting us with this word, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Gnostics were coming in, the pre-Gnostics, I guess. You have a trust. You have a treasure. Just think how great it is. This is what you have. These are sound words. It's sound doctrine. 
I don't want you to entrust this to other faithful men. You're faithful, Timothy. You stay faithful with it. Then I want you to give it to others. As he says here, entrust these to faithful men. He wants it to multiply. That's the idea. Multiplication, right? You be committed to that word because it's what's going to build you up. And of course, that's what we read in Colossians 1 right at the end of the chapter there. Being complete in Christ. Um, Timothy, you're a teacher. Timothy, you're, you're to be a strong man. You're to be a teacher. Keep doing it. And whatever comes along, uh, you guard what is true. Um, Nehemiah 8, verse 8. They read the Scripture and gave the sense of it. That is what we do when we come to here in this place. We come to hear the Word of God read and then we take that same Scripture and we give the meaning to it. That's expository teaching. To me, there's only one way to preach the Word of God and that's expositorily. Not entertaining, not making people feel good, but doing what the text says. So Nehemiah, whenever the people got together and stood there for hours that day, the Word of God was simply read to them. And then it's like they all got together then and then they started giving the meaning of it. The explanation. No stories after that, but going right into the meat of the Word, explaining what it meant at that time, who it was written to, why it was written. So it's not just plain old doctrine that we're giving out. It is, but then also then making that application to it. The application comes after you've been explained to it. But people are living in a society that is fast food. You go in, you hear something, and it's something that they want now. I don't want to hear the explanation and all that Greek stuff and everything. All I want to know is how can this, what can what, how can this be in my life and I do something? Well, that's good. But no, you, you have to get the meaning of it to know it before you put it into application. And so what it's about. So, you know, I harp on that, but that's what, tri- uh, that's what teaching is. And so when he uses that word didasco, that, that's the idea of teaching. And we've lost that in the body of Christ today. And uh, so I'm so thankful of uh, there are many who are teaching the word expository. That doesn't always mean verse by verse through books of the Bible. That's the way that I tend to do it. But there have been times when we've taken topics. But we take those verses and explain the meaning to it. Um, and what that is. And of course, Spurgeon would take one verse and the next week he'd have another verse somewhere else in Scripture. But he was expository because he would explain that verse. But, uh, anyway, Timothy, you teach it. You, you, you read it. You read the Scripture. It's, on, it's inspired. Then you teach it. Anything else? Uh, I don't, uh, don't want you to be doing I want you to be right here in the Word. In John 21... Peter went back to fishing. Jesus is on the shoreline. Peter doesn't know it. Been out there fishing through the night for hours or whatever. And then he comes there to the beach and he says, uh, Peter, he says, do you love me, right? Yeah. What, What does he keep saying? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Said it to him three times. And he feed my lambs, feed my sheep. 
If you're committed to me, you preach the word. You feed the sheep. They have to get nourishment. Anything else is like, what happens if you eat chocolate cake every day, all day long, and that's all you eat? Not going to be very nourished. <coughs> that's what's happening. People get get their dessert, but they don't eat any vegetables. They don't eat any meats or proteins or things that you need in your body. We must be able to take that in. Feed my sheep. They've got to get this truth of the word to be able to grow and develop and to uh, be edified. Be diligent in that message, right? Our culture denies what we are just talking about here. Our culture sees absolute truth as despicable today. And we can see it in uh, our leadership. We can see it in our schools. We can see it in every institution. Uh, We live in a a culture that's just absolutely permeated with personal preference. This is what I like to believe. And so don't you ever be so arrogant as to imply that your truth is the truth for everyone else. Have you ever felt that way when somebody was saying... Hey, listen. I you're okay to believe what you believe. That's all. That's fine. I I respect that. But don't you think that your truth that comes out of the Bible is what everybody else has to believe? Now that that has permeated not only society but it's in the church. It is in um, the postmodern society. That's what postmodernism is. There's really no truth. Uh, Baby boomers have been the ones who have affected that, and I guess I fall in that realm. Um, And many of us come from that stage of life. One-third of America's baby boomers, the ones who profess to be Christians, okay? The baby boomer Christians. One-third of them. You say, what what one-third? What does it mean? One-third. One-third say that Jesus Christ is not the only way. Christians. I put quote Christians. I don't know how you can be a Christian and say that. I don't think you can. I really don't. One third of professing Christians say that. You want to hear something even more astounding? One half of the baby boomer quote Christians actually believe that not only there are other religions, that, that was that third, but we're talking about reincarnation and astrology. Half of professing Christians believe in astrology. They believe in reincarnation. The heart of the gospel is the death, burial, and the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we're wasting our time. And none of this is truth. And then so, hey, why are we here? (laughs) The people believed what the apostles taught. The people sat at the apostles' feet. What the apostles taught was sound instruction. It was the inspired Word of God. And so he says, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, he mentions what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. All the, the other ones. And of course, you can think of a Barnabas, for instance. You can think of some of the other apostles or other disciples. Any people that were around in other places where he taught, um, many witnesses. 
uh, he taught the same thing every time. And it was out in the open. Gnosticism says, hey, we have secret knowledge. And when you get to a stage, then you can, you can re- get that revealed to you. But um, the gospel, uh, there were many witnesses. It's not a secret hide-in-the-corner kind of thing, is it? The gospel's been out there. And he was revealed the gospel truth. He wrote much of the New Testament Paul did. And Peter even said, Peter was a witness of Paul's writing. Even though Peter wrote Scripture too. We have First and Second Peter. Uh, but in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, And in regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some hard things to understand, hard doctrine, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. He was saying that what Paul wrote was Scripture. It came straight from God and what he wrote, these are, yeah, they're hard to understand. As a matter of fact, some people distort them and they, under, uh, they misunderstand them. They're very unstable and they did not carry on the truth as the, the deposit that it needed to be. And so this revelation that Paul got, it was, it was real from God. And uh, we know in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it was confirmed by other people. Hebrews 2, 1. For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how shall we escape if we neglect... What did I get? It's a good passage. Yeah, here we go. Okay, I'm going to it. Okay. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. The Word of God was confirmed. And that it came from Christ. And then it, it uh, is confirmed as it was given to Paul and the other apostles. And God also showed that this word was true in verse 4 uh, by signs and wonders and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. And that, that proved that what they got in the very early days, Hebrew was, was written very, very late. It was all the way up into um, the late 60s. So the Word of God was pretty well out there in this first century. And uh, Paul was a writer of Scripture and we have others uh, confirmed. And who are the people that you pass it to? Here in Second Timothy. To faithful men. The primary man of, uh, man of God is to keep the Word pure and then pass it to the next. Pass it to the other people. These people are the ones who they can be trusted with. That they can be reliable. That they be loyal. Um, Not the ones dealing with uh, some kind of cultish type beliefs or something where uh, we're afraid they take that word out there and they're just going to just dishonor it. That's who you, you take it to. So that people can be reproduced. Christians reproduce Christians. 
Now, God, we know, does that work, but by giving this word out. So, uh, generation there, after generation. That, that's the vision. We, we hold the truth of God and we're to, we're to take it out. That's the purpose. We exist to guard the truth. We are the guarders of the truth. The guardians of the truth. I like that. The guardians of the truth. One other picture, the soldier. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in act of service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul knew that, okay, if you're going to follow Christ, then we don't go around giving false pretenses of an easy life. Right? If you do, if you, if you think that the Christian life is going to be easy, whenever the intense battles come, you know what you'll do? You're a soldier? You'll go AWOL. Not prepared, not ready for this intense battle. And so he says, embrace the hardship as a good soldier of Christ. Requires four things. One of them, ensure hardship together. We are soldiers that are never alone in the battle. We have our shields of faith that connect with the next shield of faith, with the next shield of faith, and we have a wall set up. We need each other. One of those pieces of the wall goes out and all of a sudden, you know, it gets a little dangerous, a little dicey, right? We're never alone in battle. Elijah was saying, Lord, am I the only one? We know the answer to that, right? I've got others, right? Um, Endure hardship together. We're not alone. It's nice to know we have other people fighting with us, don't we? And fighting for us and praying for us. Number two... In, we're in Christ's army to fight the evil forces of darkness. If you're talking about a soldier, he's saying you have to fight, you have to battle. You better be strong because as you teach this Word, guess what? The enemy will come up against you. So there's the three things. Be strong because when you teach the Word, there will be battles. And this is not a volunteer army either because he drafted us into it. He elected us. He drafted us. He put us in this army. He laid hold of you. So the enemy is the unseen forces of darkness in heavenly places. And there are casualties. Many are wounded. Many are killed. That's why we have to put on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6.10 Be strong in the Lord, right? And then he starts going through the pieces of armor. I wanted to go through there, but uh, lack of time. You guys are familiar with Ephesians 6-10? through 10, The armor of God. Do you put that armor on every day? Because every day you go out there, you're in a battle, you're in a war, and it reminds you. But you might forget that you're in a war, and you get shot at, and you don't even know you're shot. <laughs> Have that armor on. It's a, it's a person of Christ. Obey the orders, Right? Matter of fact, it might take you into different kind of circumstances that you really don't like. Um, matter of fact, when one goes to boot camp, they'll be sleeping in the barracks, and all of a sudden you have a soldier or the uh, the uh, the sergeant come in and start yelling, and everybody has to wake up, and he takes them out there on the hard pavement, and they have to start running, running, and running, endure hardship. Um, Matter of fact, he might have you be doing push-ups till your arms are like jello, <laughs> and uh, they might have you being doing things that 
you can say, why are we doing this? This doesn't make sense. This is a difficult circumstance that he's put me into. And we realize that in boot camp, he's training us. And everything that he does is for a purpose here. And he might put you into a terrible circumstance like he did Job. God permitted Satan to take all of his earthly possession. Everything but his life. John Piper really said something I thought that really made sense about prayer and being a soldier. Because at the end of that, uh, Ephesians 6, where it talks about putting on the armor, then he, he talks about prayer. Okay. To many believers today, and we're all guilty of this, I'm guilty, we have an intercom. And we use that intercom to have the maid bring more refreshments into the living room. We want all the goodies, right? Piper says, no, we have walkie-talkies like soldiers on the battlefield. And we're to call in more support for the front lines of the battle. The battle is going on. So in other words, he says, prayer isn't to make our lives more comfortable. It's to bring the forces of heaven against the forces of evil in this cosmic battle that we are involved with as infantry soldiers. Wow, that's graphic, isn't it? That's a graphic picture. Prayer isn't to make us more comfortable. The society thinks everything should be comfortable. Everything should go perfect. And he says, we have access to God and we need to be praying to this holy God and recognizing that we're in a battle and that we need help. We need to as we face the forces of evil. Cosmic battle. Number three about the soldier, embrace the hardship of unentangled commitment. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. He doesn't go to... A, American soldier doesn't go to Iraq or Iran or all over the Middle East and set up some kind of a souvenir stand on the weekend and, or have like a fast food business on the side. You know, they, they, you don't see that happening, do you? You know, look, make a little extra money on, on the side. They don't pay you that good in the army. So um, what he's saying is a Christian doesn't get distracted. He must first seek the kingdom of God. Realize why you're there, what you're doing. Entangle. Boy, it's easy for all of us to get entangled, isn't it? Sometimes we forget about the kingdom of God. And there's nothing wrong with a limited use of sports or computers or recreation or hobbies, those things that we like to do. You know, as a matter of fact, God uh, gives those things. But being able to use those, use them rightly when and uh, where and how, uh, He uses those kind of things to refresh us for the battle. Those things can be good, but they can also consume us and take us away from what we're really about. And then we can go right on into the quicksand and then gobble us up if we're not seeking first the kingdom of God. James 4.4 4. Here James says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He, you know, he's our commander in chief. He's our captain. He's leading us, right? And um, we want to do what he wants us to do. That's what he. He doesn't want us to entangle in, into the world, the everyday life, so that it consumes us. But the reason is that we exist as these soldiers is the last uh, part of this verse four, so that he may please, so that we please the one who enlisted us as a soldier. Now, uh, this doesn't talk about a lowly recruiter here. The one who enlisted us is the the general of all generals. And he has an army and he rallies people for his cause, for the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is our general. And he's taking us and he wants us to make to be loyal to Him. We are to please Him by being obedient soldiers. That's what uh, soldiers do. They, they obey orders. Um, to please our commander is the great desire of every blood-bought soldier of the cross. If you look in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Therefore we also have as our ambition... Here's our ambition. What is it? Whether at home or absent, whether whether we're dead or alive <laughs> in the body, to be pleasing to Him. That means always. Now, on into eternity. That's a Christian's ambition. To be pleasing to Him. Don't get hung up on all the peripherals and all those things out there. This is what you live for. You're trying to discover yourself, right? Trying to find out who I am in society. What have I been? What am I supposed to do? I only have so many years left. Or uh, Look, the rest of my life I've got in front of me and everything. And This is it right here. To please Him. To please Him, right? To please our Commander. That's the great desire. Well, what do you want to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. So keep in mind who you're trying to please. You're not to please yourself. <laughs> Even though we battle against them, we die to self, but we please Christ. Our aim is to please our commander. And that begins right on the thought level and then producing the out. Well, there are pictures in Second Timothy chapter 2. And they're all the way through this chapter. Uh, we did three today. I think there are five more pictures that Paul draws up for us to be able to say, oh, this is what it's like to be an empowered Christian. He uh, wants him to be strong, right? And he wants us to be strong. And so these images are drawn up for us. Let's be strong. Father, we thank you for your grace that we stand in and you give us commands and they're not commands that we cannot do, but they're commands that you actually know what's best for us and help us to be able to be strong in the grace that's in Christ. Help us to be teachers, to be able to deposit this great deposit You've given us. And help us to be the soldiers as we fight in this battle and realizing we're fighting and advancing the kingdom of God through the powerful Word of God and Your Spirit. Thanks for equipping us this morning through Your Word. And uh, we pray that we take heed to this as we continue our worship today. All praise to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.